The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. Hello everyone, I'm Christina Morrissey and welcome to Stock Insiders. Today we head to the north of WA to talk about a project that has not one but two commodities in its sights and they're both experiencing a global surge in demand. When we try to predict areas to invest in, we look for the next big thing. What's going to drive demand? Is there going to be a shortage? The two we're focusing on in this podcast are very different in terms of what they do and how they work for us as humans but both going to power our future. One is assisting humans in their technological growth and our cleaner, greener way to generate power. That's rare us. The other is the growing global population's need for food. And that can only be achieved with more fertilizer, more phosphate. So I had to get my head around the prospects of the company we're talking with today because they look pretty big to me. They've ended up with commodities that cover off on both of these global megatrends. So sit back. We're going to go inside Rare X's 100% Cummings Range project in the Kimberley and our guide is CEO James Durant. James, hello and welcome. Hi, Christina. Thanks for having me. A very good summary of the project and introduction. Oh, it is a fantastic project. I thought we would go right the way back to the beginning to start and we'll have a look at Rare X itself and the, the founder and why he went in search of Rare Earths. Yes, well, Rarex um, found the Cummins Range uh, project in about uh, 2018. Um, and it was Jeremy Robinson, who is now the non-executive chairman of this company, who really had a, a desire to get into the rare earth mineral space. Of course, rare earths being used for permanent magnets in the generation and use of clean energy. Now, he's not a, he's not a, a geologist, though, is he? So how do you, how do you classify Jeremy? No, Jeremy is a strategic and uh, and corporate finance uh, executive um, with a with a great deal of experience um, in the rocks and a love for the rocks as well, and he really saw this opportunity and then tied them tied his enthusiasm for the rocks with his understanding of strategy and, and corporate finance to to put together a, this rare earth project uh, in the Kimberley. So, what are the rare earths that you've got up at this project? Anything in particular? Yeah, we have, um, based on our recent resource update, about 1.3 million tonnes of total rare earth oxide. Over 20% of that uh, is the neodymium, praseodymium, which are the light rare earths. And and the market there um, is largely the permanent magnet market for for electric motors and uh, wind turbine generation. Just an interesting aside there, you're talking about the, the need for these minerals. I was talking to a friend the other day who's bought a brand new car and the car seat room, if the front seat there, because it's a shortage of rare earths, uh, they don't have, they didn't have the, the minerals for the, the magnets. So it's actually a manual move forward and backwards because there's a shortage of the rare earths needed for these magnets, this simple car part in, in the car. Yeah, it's quite extraordinary, isn't it? And um, it really does show you that we are we are very much um, dependent upon these particular metals and and their performance in 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 magnetism, and um, and China are very much the dominant uh, player in this space, producing well over ninety percent of the final products of, of rare earths, and so you've got this great demand because of the consumer products coming out. And I should say it is it is definitely cars and uh, wind turbines, but there's an awful lot of other consumer products that require these little lightweight, high-powered magnets. I mean, the, the, the vibration in your mobile phone, for example, is driven by 
a motor that contains these metals. So there's a great demand for this. And there's also an overlay of, um, of, of geopolitical um, uh, strategic value chain uh, imperative that the Western governments have brought in, in particular, to make sure that we can, we can deliver these products on home soil. Mm-hmm. And the Chinese, of course, are also doing the processing. Is that part of what you're hoping to do in your project? You could see our project as being um, a, a large rare earth uh, project development opportunity. It's, it, we intend to develop the rare earth value chain, um, and that is complicated and it is expensive and will take quite some time. The opportunity that presents to us uh, that we found with this new resource is that we have clean phosphate in the deposit. Our rare earths are hosted in phosphate, and we can use that phosphate as a real opportunity to get early cash flow and de-risk our path towards those rare earth critical projects. What was Jeremy's reaction when he realised that he had not one, but two commodities in this prospect? Yes, I, I think it dawned on us over, over a period of weeks when we realised that the, the phosphates were really, they were really there not to be treated as a byproduct of rare earth, genera- of rare earth um, mining and processing, but as actually a co-product. And then, of course, that evolved into realising that they were an enabler. There is, there is, rare, there is um, rare earth sitting underneath high-grade phosphate. And the board were very excited. Jeremy was very excited about this, um, about this prospect. The, the challenge, of course, is that um, we have to talk about two commodities, as you mentioned in your opening. That they're, they're two commodities in two sector groups. Which is like, that's difficult for me to talk about or to find the, the questions for. But for you, it must be fantastic because you've got two value chains, haven't you? Yeah, we absolutely do. We have, we have two value chains in two global megatrends. And we have a, a staged pathway to be able to deliver the end result. And that is quite unique. And it's very fortunate that our depositors presented us with that opportunity. There are, I'm just thinking, there are a number of rare earth projects um, which aren't in production phase. Does anyone else have a similar configuration to what you've, ha- you've got? You said it's unique, but is there anyone else out there with something similar? That's quite correct. There are some very large um, rare earth projects. And in fact, in Australia, um, there's, there's some very good, very um, high profile projects uh, of which uh, we are now the, the second largest undeveloped of those. Um, and they are all unique. Uh, there's a lot of similarities, but they are all unique. What we have, which is quite unique, is, is that the phosphate is very clean and it's on the surface and it's very high grade. And that overlays these rare earths. And so um, you couple that with our location, which is very close to uh, the port of Wyndham, 500 kilometers from the port of Wyndham. We essentially have a bulk ready uh, supply chain in terms of the road and, and, and the port, enabling us to get that phosphate overburden off of the rare earths, use that to drive cash flow in the business and buy us time to build up the full scale rare earth facility. I don't think anyone else has this opportunity in quite the same configuration. You must have all just done a little happy dance at that point when you realised that. Yeah, I think it was a certainly uh, for us internally a, a relatively slow emergence, but uh, you could see the eyes on everyone here's face light up as we realised what this opportunity presented because it now means we can legitimately be talking about being an operating mine, which is precisely why uh, I'm in the business in the first place. Um, and still not lose sight of the rare earths that are our end state. Yeah, I just want to go back to the location. You talked about the the roads the, and the port, et cetera, and the power. In the Kimberley where you are, and this is focusing on the fact that you're one of your 
um, commodities is going to be phosphate. You're also in the agricultural hub, the Ord River Basin, which is a massive food producer for Western Australia. Do you have any um, any offtake agreements there? You're right. We are very close to the uh, the Ord River Irrigated um, Agricultural District, and um, as this phosphate opportunity um, rose up in in our in our priorities and in our conscious, and the engineering team started looking at it, we realised that this is just this is an incredible um, opportunity there to start supporting um, the local agricultural sector with the phosphate fertilisers that we can produce uh, that uh, that sit above the rare earths. And so quite early on, we uh, we decided that we needed to understand that market better. And we ended up signing a, a memorandum of understanding with Ordco, which are the primary fertilizer distributors for the region. And that MOU works, uh, maps out a pathway for us to develop products and work out how to penetrate them into the agricultural sector. And so we're well advanced now with, with our product definition. And it means that really we can contribute meaningfully to a big agricultural region in the north for regional growth in a region that really has um, a great desire and need um, to, to, to see industry develop. And it's and the market's right there on our doorstep. So it's a fantastic opportunity for both the business monetarily, but also from our corporate social responsibility in the region. I've got three three lucky strikes for you so far. So you've got the two megatrends. You've got your location next to the the Ord River, um, the, the agricultural section there. You mentioned just briefly the depth of the projects, the phosphate was at the surface. How deep are both the projects? Because if they're fairly close to the surface, surely that's another great one. Yeah, sort of structurally, the project is um, a weathered um, a weathered carbonatite um, that goes down about 100 metres um, or so. Underneath that sits um, fresh rock. Now, that fresh rock contains good quality rare earths in very favourable mineralogy. In fact, there's lots of examples of where that mineralogy has been success- successful in turning a, a resource into a, an operating project. Um, and in the regolith, in that overburden, that oxidised material layer, is where we see a lot of um, a lot of the high grade phosphates from surface, so it's quite uh, it's quite beneficial in terms of the layout of the of the structure, and of course, you know we've put out uh, this new resource and we have captured the phosphates and that was very important for us because that's now a key part of the project. But it must be remembered that those rare earths are still sitting there. They're they're in these two cross cutting dikes, uh, in particular the rare dike, uh, where we get a good concentration of rare earths sitting there almost from surface, but certainly going um, going down into the fresh rock. So it's very favourably laid out as well, and we think we can utilise that to our advantage. Yeah, for sure. How big did you say the actual project is? Uh, in terms of the uh, the total resource, we've got about 400 million tonnes at 4.5% phosphate and about 0.3% rare earths. That contains 1.3 million tonnes of uh, contained TREO, total rare earth oxides, which I might have mentioned earlier, sits us as second only uh, in terms of undeveloped um, rare earth projects and the 17 million tonnes of phosphate within that. So it really is quite an extraordinary project, both large in its own right as a rare earth project, but also with this um, augmentation of the phosphate component. The phosphate prices recently have just gone up and up. I know there's been the supply chain issues with the Russian-Ukraine standoff. That is right. Both of these commodity types, the rare earths and the um, and the phosphates, have global megatrend 
um, drivers behind them, and they also both have shorter term. We talked about the strategic imperatives of Western governments on the rare earth side. But on the phosphate side, we have that short term supply disruption um, in, in, in Russia and Ukraine. And that has really highlighted, similar to uh, supply concentration in China for rare earths, it's really highlighted that there is one player that may be not quite aligned to, um, to our values that um, produces a material amount of this product. And so now you see in the first instance, uh, a spike in prices, we're running at well over 350 US dollars a ton FOB Morocco, which is the, the benchmark pricing for 32% phosphate. And we anticipate clearly that um, that, is going to, um, that is going to sustain over the medium term. Um, it has never been below about 150 US dollars a ton. And so it's, a, it's an attractive commodity and the long-term growth potential is five to six percent compound annual growth growth rates driven by population. So macro and micro drivers for this product. In fact, macro and micro drivers for both products. James, you are a mining engineer, a mechanical engineer. You like obviously like to build things. So I'm assuming that as part of the region of the team, you're aiming towards becoming an operational mine. How close are you? What's the timeline? You're quite right that the, the team has now um, moved its focus in towards those that have uh, bulk commodity operational um, experience in, in both in building and, and operating projects. And you see that with, with my moving into this role from the COO role with the uh, introduction of uh, Kay Hoffman, who's come from Minres and BHP into the study manager role. And with Danny Goerman, who's a very senior marketing sales and shipping executive, XFMG, who's just moved onto the board. So very much gearing the team towards operations with bulk operations experience, which is what we need to do in the first phase of this project. We're very well advanced with our approvals uh, for this project. We've been doing environmental baseline surveys last year and this year. We're about halfway through the heritage negotiations with the Jaru, who are our local traditional owners. And we would anticipate that we could clear, um, clear those hurdles and submit for environmental approvals early next year. Now, with a DSO project, um, that first stage of us being able to produce a direct shipping or um, phosphate, uh, phosphate product from the overburden material, that demands an, a different and much simpler approval process um, with the state regulators. And so we can uh, realistically uh, see ourselves getting uh, mining approvals uh, in 2024, giving us um, a very clear runway to 2025 to get this project up and away. That's mining approvals. How about the processing? Because I know that's something that you're looking at as well. Yes, we are always keeping line of sight on, um, on what we need to do for the next stage of the project. It's a, it's a three-stage project. The direct shipping all comes first. Then we move into mineral concentration, um, and that's a beneficiation plant. And, then we, and, and that's for the phosphate. And then we would move into the uh, enrichment of the rare earths, which would use a modified um, Benny plant that's already installed. So those then, that latter stage, uh, those latter two stages of the project become more material and they require both uh, state and federal government approval. And we are running those all in parallel. There's not, uh, we're not waiting for one, we're not running them sequentially. We're running them in parallel so that as soon as the economic modelling of the project um, dictates that we need to transition from direct shipping or into the, into the concentrate, we are ready to be able to deploy that infrastructure. Yeah. James, do you get any benefit from the government, from any of the grants, et cetera, for the, the rare earths? Certainly, because of our position as a very substantial rare earth uh, project, 
there are grants available and we do have teams looking at um, how we bring those into the project. I think there's um, a great desire by this government to ensure those um, sovereign value chains are deployed properly. And so they are, there are pools of money both existing now and being looked at in the future by the federal government for deploying into projects at very similar stages to what we have to offer. Yeah. We were just up at Singapore recently at the Future Facing Commodities uh, Conference up there. And I asked you that question at the start because that was a, a big part of your people, government, ideas, all working together to try and solve the shortage issue that we have for some of these critical minerals. Is that there are now, you've got, um, you know, car producers or car makers, etc., approaching people like yourselves and saying, we'll take what you what you may be about to, to take out of the ground. That's why I was interested to see if anyone had actually been sniffing around with your operation. I think that's a very realistic um, possibility for this project. Um, we certainly have um, near-term interest in the phosphate because that is a much nearer-term um, product that we can deliver. And I think, uh, and I think we're all um, we're all of the belief that as that materiality starts to um, starts to be digested, that this thing is now this project is now a three phased stage deployment of capital leading to rare earths, and we can get started with cash flows in the next couple of years. I think that realism will 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 reflect in the interest that we get for that the end product, the the rare earths, and so. Um, we're putting a lot of effort now into understanding the marketing strategy on both of those because there is overlap and that's a, that's a technical discussion for another day. Um, but we're working uh, hard with, um, uh, with market strategy, market segmentation at the moment, particularly looking at um, Saudi Arabia and Southeast Asia, as well as those local, those local possibilities that we covered slightly earlier on how to deliver this phased product program that we've, uh, that we've presented. James, thanks so much for your time today and for, for being our tour guide into RareX. It's certainly a really interesting prospect. Thank you very much. I hope the, uh, the technicals have come across in a, in a digestible manner. Oh, I think we just, we just want to know a little bit about you and how it started and, and what the journey's been like. And I, it, really listening to, I, I can imagine, I'm sure our listeners can imagine to the elation of Jeremy and the rest of the team when he discovered you had not just one, but two. The fact that the depth that it's at makes it a relatively easy commodity to get out of the ground to start with. The the global mega trends, as far as you've got the two of them covering off there, you've got the, the Ord River there with the, you know, the, the hydropower, which is a bonus as well, but also the fact that you've got the food bowl there, which is going to, uh, has that offtake agreement. Am I allowed to say an offtake agreement? I wouldn't go quite that far yet, but it's certainly a very okay. possibility of transition. But yeah. you're right, when you put it like that, it is, it's incredibly yeah. exciting and it's an incredibly, a, a, a material amount of good aspects to this project that mean it's yeah. a very realistic um, operating opportunity in the near term. James, thanks so much for your time. So that's it, everyone. Rare X, near-term cash flows, a simplified stage project, but still with exposure to the, as we said, the electric vehicle megatrend and the rarer side and exposure to the phosphate fertiliser megatrend, which is a food security and population growth side of things. So really, they have it all covered. Two fundamental drivers for future living. Could it be a driver for your investment portfolio? Do your own research, see what you think. And that's it for Stock Insiders. Thanks for your company. I'm Christina Morrison.